Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky visited Copenhagen and addressed Parliament, where he thanked the Danish government for donating F-16s. We become stronger, all of us, together with you. Thank you. We'll have that plus an analysis of what the American-made jets may bring to the battlefield, and later in the program, the number of foreign businesses that have left Russia during nearly 18 months of war. There has been an extraordinary stampede of unparalleled multinational corporate exits never before seen in world history. Today is Monday, August 21st. From the Voice of America, this is Flashpoint Ukraine. Good evening. I'm Steve Miller in Washington. On Sunday, the Netherlands and Denmark announced that they were giving fighter jets to Ukraine. From the Associated Press, Mimi Montgomery starts us off. At a news conference with Ukraine's President Zelensky, Dutch Prime Minister Mark Rutte confirms the Netherlands, along with Denmark, will give F-16 warplanes to Ukraine. The planes will be delivered once unspecified conditions are met. In the meantime, we have to work on the infrastructure to make sure that a landing and takeoff of the planes can take place in Ukraine in a safe way, uh, because the F-16s uh, are very sensitive planes. Uh, so we have to make sure that all the infrastructural um, things have been prepared, and of course, all the the whole authorization process will also take place in the meantime. During the same news conference, Zelensky says the leaders agree on a number of planes, possibly more than 40 from the Netherlands. He goes on to thank his counterparts, saying the F-16s will bring new energy to his troops and deliver results for Ukraine and Europe. I'm Mimi Montgomery. Now, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky thanked Denmark for military support to his country in a speech that he delivered to Parliament in Copenhagen, taking place on Monday. Now... Russian evil strikes with pain and death at Ukrainian cities and villages. But they openly say that Ukraine is not enough. Later, after our country, they want to carry this suffering further to Europe and to the world. And I'm sure you hear it. You hear it from Moscow. All of Russia's neighbors are under threat if Ukraine does not prevail. International law will not be resuscitated. Democracies of the world, each of them can become a target either for missiles or for mercenaries or for destabilization. And I'm sure you can feel it. But Ukraine will prevail. When Putin ordered this invasion, he only believed in the lens of his armed vehicles column. In power of explosions of Russian missiles, he believed that cruelty is capable of rewriting the history of an entire continent, erasing this history, pushing it back a century, yes, to crush everything that makes our continent and our countries peaceful. He believed only in force. In force without humanity, he trusted violence, and that is why he is weaker. We believe in something completely different, and that is why we become stronger, all of us, 
together with you. Thank you. Russia has condemned the decision by both Denmark and the Netherlands to donate F-16 fighter jets to Ukraine, saying that the move would escalate the conflict. And now that there are plans and a possible date for the arrival of the F-16s, I'd like to revisit a June conversation that my colleague Steve Karish had with Bryn Tannehill of the RAND Corporation about the impact that she sees the aircraft potentially having in the conflict. And so in your recent article, you're saying that the F-16s are going to be a big help, but they're also going to be a lot of work for Ukraine. Can you tell us uh, what are the challenges that are going to come to Ukraine once they get F-16s? So some of the some of the big challenges are first employment, right? You've got to employ them the way that they were intended within kind of a Western combined arms uh, NATO mindset. The F-16s were designed to operate within NATO air forces, right? Um, if you try and operate these exactly the way you operated the old uh, MiG-29s, uh, you're not going to get the most out of them. Uh, and you're going to have issues. Well, what does that mean? What does that mean? Doesn't a pilot just hop in and fly and shoot what they need to shoot? It's it's more complicated than that. Um, you have uh, some of it is digital connection between aircraft. Some of it is how you think about employing it. Um, some of it is that the the aircraft are are radically different. Uh, in terms of their capabilities. So an example I would give is the older MiG-29 has these flaps that are on the air intakes. That what it does is it allows it to draw air into the engines from above the fuselage, and that allows them to do uh, takeoffs and landings from highways without worrying about ingesting rocks and twigs and stuff and, and um, damaging the engine, Right. The F-16 has its air intake mounted uh, underneath the cockpit, essentially, um, right next to the the runway. Um, And it doesn't have a similar system that allows it to block out air from underneath the aircraft and pull in air from above, meaning it's much more vulnerable to um, ingesting debris. And it's only got one engine, vice two engines. Um, We already talked about training pilots. Training pilots, we figured out, is is going to take about four months to give them just the information they need to fight the kind of fight that they're that they're expecting. The audience needs to understand is that this is not going to allow Ukraine to gain air dominance. The F-16s. And that's with the F-16s or air superiority or even possibly air parity. Um, the problem with these F-16s is that they were designed as a lightweight multi-role fighter. They were not designed as an air superiority fighter. Um, the Russians have aircraft that are much larger with giant, powerful radars that can put an ungodly amount of radiation in the air. And these r- radars aren't old. The, the radars that they're using are good APG-66s, but they're still old and they still don't get that much power because the F-16 is small and light, right? It doesn't have that much energy that it could put out in terms of radio waves. It also, uh, the Russians have um, things like the MiG-31 and the Sukhoi-35 that have radars that can see further, that are much more modern. They also have missiles like the R-37 that are faster and have much longer range, which means that in general, Russian 
Oh, and one other thing is that the Russians also have AWACS aircraft to help things see from very far away. Um, so, in general, the Russians are going to be able to see Ukrainian F-16s for, before F their F-16s can see the Russians. And they're going to be able to shoot at the Ukrainian aircraft before the Ukrainian aircraft can shoot back, which gives the Russian aircraft a distinct advantage in air-to-air, -air, you know, beyond visual range combat. So they've got this new airplane. It's a lot more complicated. It has some extra requirements that the Ukrainians are going to have to uh, fulfill. Overall, is it worth them having? Is it a, a good thing for them? In the long run, yes, it's very much a good thing. Um, one thing we didn't talk about is sustainability, which is you're going to need um, parts uh, and maintenance for the aircraft and, and have access to the manufacturers uh, who, would, who would help maintain the aircraft and maintain a, a supply of spares. Um, long term, Ukraine wants to integrate with NATO, and part of integrating with NATO is integrating with NATO supply systems, integrating with NATO man manufacturers, integrating with NATO, NATO data networks, tactics, uh, weapon systems that you hang off of the aircraft. And all of this furthers uh, Ukraine's ability to be integrated into NATO down the line. Bryn Tannehill is a former naval aviator and a senior technical analyst at the nonprofit, nonpartisan Rand Corporation. Bryn, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate your time and your analysis. Thank you very much for having me on. I appreciate it. You're listening to VOA's Flashpoint Ukraine. I'm Steve Miller. As Ukrainian forces continue their counteroffensive in the south, Russian forces are pummeling the city of Kupiansk in the northeast. VOA's Heather Murdoch reports from a city under attack as families evacuate and soldiers prepare for battle. The city in eastern Ukraine is becoming more dangerous by the day, with Russian forces attacking from a distance of about five kilometers. It is widely believed that Russia wants to recapture Kupiansk, and volunteers are evacuating families from frontline areas and nearby villages. Russia occupied the city for seven months before Ukraine took control last September. Locals evacuating the area say they survived occupation, often without electricity, heat, or the internet. But now, they cannot take it anymore. In an evacuation bus about to head out of town, Lydia weeps as she tells us that she knows she may never go home again. But at a church in the center of town, some residents say they will stay put until their homes fall down around them. About two hours after we visit the church, bombs crash into a residential area about 100 meters away. Ten people are taken to a hospital. Soldiers say the city is strategic because of its railway hub and they are preparing for a tough battle ahead. We are told in the coming weeks that these evacuations, now going on daily, could become mandatory. Reporting from Kupiansk, Ukraine, Heather Murdoch, VOA News. And on Monday, I also caught up with Heather over WhatsApp. Heather, you went back to Kupiansk on Monday morning, you know, after the city was attacked. What did you see and, and really what did you experience in such a short turnaround trip? It feels like 
Kupiansk is a city that's sort of on the edge of disaster. People are evacuating, and uh, other people who have long said they were going to stay, people who have lived through seven months of occupation and uh, also through this summer of violence, are now finally saying enough because the recent attacks have become too much. So we met people who um, who stayed through so much who today we're saying, finally, we're leaving. Um, we went to a post office where there is a surprising amount of traffic, com- considering that every few seconds we could hear a bomb either going out of the city or into the city. Um, people were coming in, mailing their things to their relatives, like electronics, valuables, even food, because while they're planning to evacuate, they're afraid their homes are going to be destroyed and their possessions are going to be gone before they can get out of the city. Um we also uh, met some people. We met some people at a kitchen that was cooking food for people who are stuck in the front lines, mostly older people or infirmed people who can't travel. Um, but it's quite heartbreaking. There was one woman who was insisting that she has to stay um, because she loves her city. And while she's talking about this, you can hear the bombs getting closer. You know, Heather, you know, you've mentioned you visit around Ukraine, you've traveled throughout this entire conflict. And, and time and time again, there's a story of people who are either old or infirm who, who can't leave or who have such an attachment to their city that they want to remain. But I want to go back to what you said. You know, while you were there visiting the post office, visiting the kitchen, you could hear the, the projectiles, the munitions going into and out of the city. How close were these, you know, explosions that you were hearing? Well, fortunately today, everything we heard was at least several kilometers away from us. So it's you know loud enough that you can hear, but also loud enough that you can speak, uh, quiet enough that you can speak over. So it's like booms and bangs. Um, yesterday, we heard some missiles that were closer and, you know, including the you know, specific sounds like a whistle indicates that something's coming towards you and it's not that far away. Um, in the post office itself, we asked if they're safe there and they just look, point out their windows. They're like, look, we only have one little square of window that still exists. Everything else has been shattered. They said usually the school nearby is bombed and it frequently bombs, um, but occasionally they miss um, and hit near the post office. So it's so often that one of the volunteers I've spoken to says, she said, I thought I could never get used to this, but now when I'm going to work I, on my way, if I hear shelling, I drop to the ground. And then when it's gone over, I get up and continue on my way to work. Wow. That's, you know, we, we, we've heard that from residents in Kiev where they become accused, accustomed to it. It's, it's just, as they have put it, the new normal. VOA's Heather Murdoch is currently reporting from inside Ukraine, traveling throughout the country, speaking to those directly affected by the conflict. Heather is currently in the city of Kharkiv. Heather, thank you very much for your time, and please be safe. Thanks. Nice talking to you. And for more information on the recent updates about the conflict and reaction to Zelensky's trip abroad, I spoke with Anna Chernikova in Kiev. Well, President Zelensky had another uh, quite a trip uh, over the weekend, and uh, uh, we can clearly see that, uh, well, 
the reason why he why he had this trip to the Netherlands to the Denmark uh, he actually inspected uh, some F16 jets that will be delivered to Ukraine uh, according to Ukrainian officials uh, from the air force uh, it should be done and by the end of this year uh, and uh, we already have also confirmation from Ukrainian officials that that Ukrainian pilots uh, have started their training. So, uh, yeah, so definitely uh, it was a great trip, uh, as was announced uh, during these trips in, in the Netherlands. The Netherlands will uh, will provide Ukraine with 42 jet, F-16 jets, uh, while, uh, while Denmark will join and uh, provide uh, another 19 jets. Uh, also, Ukrainian pilots are currently at training and some of them uh, are pilots who are quite fresh. So they will get, uh, they just graduated from their studies and they will get this uh, new experience uh, with F-16 straight away. And some pilots uh, who are currently at the training, they already have uh, uh, air combat experience uh, from before and they're basically getting this new training uh, new experience and training with F-16 uh, having already been in the battles and knowing how how it is. And one last question Anna, on a more somber note uh, can you bring us up to date on the events that transpired in Chernihiv? Yeah, uh, it was quite a um, it was quite a tragic uh, Saturday for Ukraine, uh, particularly for for the city of Chernihiv, which is just a couple of hours away by car from the city of Kiev, from the capital. Um, this this city uh, was suffering uh, occupation. Uh, last year uh, by Russian forces and now uh, it's another and yet it's the biggest uh, probably uh, it was the biggest shelling and uh, uh, the most uh, well the most um, mm, uh, tragic shelling uh, from the beginning of, of full-scale invasion so what happened is that uh, you, russian forces uh, attacked the city of chernihiv with ballistic m missile uh, this ballistic missile hit uh, the, the drama theater in in this very city center of of Chernihiv. Uh, later on, it was confirmed that um, during this attack, uh, a drone uh, exhibition was taking place in the theater. So different drone uh, representatives from the defense industry and particularly drones were present in that place and uh, it was yeah certain exhibition going on it was not uh, it, it was announced but not uh, it was not you know uh, openly announced but still then the announcement was taking place so uh, now inside the country it is discussed whether it was supposed to be announced or not uh, in order to avoid such attacks in the future but uh, unfortunately most of most of people who uh, well who got injured uh, were those who were just walking around in the city center during this uh, weekend during saturday and it was also big religious holiday uh, on saturday in ukraine so uh, a lot of people were outside uh, what we know from from the official uh, as rescue operation is uh, has already been finished, uh, 
156 people got injured and these injuries are of different uh, of different level and some people remain in the hospital with very serious injuries seven people unfortunately died including one child uh, and this attack uh, caused 66 uh, residential building to be damaged uh, again of different level of damages uh, 10 administrative buildings damaged and uh, 67 uh, 67 vehicles were also either damaged or destroyed thank you for that anna and as developments continue to unfold we'll be sure to check back in with you anna chernikova reports for us from kiev ukraine anna it's great to have you back and thank you very much for your time today thank you steve Ukrainian officials say that Kyiv is considering using its newly tested wartime Black Sea export corridor that hugs the western Black Sea coast near Romania and Bulgaria for grain shipments. That, after the first successful evacuation of a vessel along the route last week. And finally, last week we also spoke about the war's impact on the Russian ruble. And today, we continue the conversation by focusing on foreign companies and the prospects of doing business in Russia. Since the early days of the war, several international companies have closed up shop and left. VOA Ukrainian service reporter Oksana Bedratenko spoke via Zoom with Jeffrey Sonnefield, Senior Associate Dean for Leadership Studies and Professor of Management at Yale University. He's also the founder and president of the Chief Executive Leadership Institute. Uh, you've been researching uh, um, international companies who are leaving Russia for some time. Uh, what developments do you see in this area now? Well, something which uh, surprises us is that there has been a extraordinary stampede of unparalleled multinational corporate exits never before seen in world history. Uh, with companies standing up for their global values, either out of enlightened self-interest or a, a sense of humane uh, humanitarian compassion that they have pulled out of over 1,100 companies that have completely exited. Uh, and that's been posted. We have it up every single night. We keep updating it for people free of charge to go to our site, at, you know, Yale, Russia list, and it'll bring anybody there to take a look at what's there. Uh, but uh, uh, that is roughly uh, six times the prior high watermark, the prior milestone with the exit from uh, South Africa in 1988 that I never got to know um, Nelson Mandela, but did get to know Bishop Desmond Tutu, who said that the private sector pullouts were just as important, if not almost more important than the governmental sanctions. When people say, oh, these economic blockades never work, well, they often are uh, underpowered if it's only the governmental sanctions because the villainous leaders, in that case, P.W. Bolta in South Africa and, of course, Putin today in Russia, as villains, they drape themselves as victims and drape themselves in the flag of their respective patriotism, saying, oh, they're international diplomats that are envious of our resources. But that doesn't work, as we saw in South Africa and we see in many other parts of the world. When individual cor corporations, hundreds of them, pull out, uh, then it's not it's not for that reason. In fact, they make what seem to be willing to make sacrifices to pull out. As as it turns out, every company has been richly rewarded in the financial markets for reducing operational risk, for reducing financial risk, and reducing reputation risk. So doing good was not opposite uh, at the expense of doing well. They they reinforce each other. 
But the last thing I have to mention is there are about 400 major uh, multinationals that have stayed in Russia. And uh, so that's uh, sort of a lingering challenge. Uh, it, it, none of them are doing very well being in Russia. It's bewildering as to why they stay. That was Jeffrey Sonnefield, Senior Associate Dean for Leadership Studies and Professor of Management at Yale University, speaking with my colleague in the Ukrainian service, Oksana Bedratenko. We'll have more of their conversation on tomorrow's program. And with that, that's going to do it for us today. Be sure to stay up to date with our continuing coverage, not only on Ukraine, but on news and events from around the world. You can do so 24 hours a day at voanews.com, as well as on our social media platforms. Just be sure to follow VOA News. On behalf of everyone at VOA, we thank you very much for listening. And until next time, I'm VOA's Steve Miller. Be well, be safe, and good night. This is the voice of America. Washington, Papa, Bozette, D.C.